As we come to God's Word, let's pray. Let's ask Him to speak to us, not just in our ears, but in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we've just remembered that you gave yourself to us. You suffered on the cross and you were killed to pay the price to free us and to make a way back to you. And then, Lord, you gave us your word and you told us to now live by your word. So we ask us now, so we ask you, Lord, teach us now. Teach us your word so that we can be more like you. Through your spirit we pray. Amen. If you've just joined us, uh, we've been working through the book of Colossians and um, we're getting to, to the end of the book of Colossians in chapter 3. We've been uh, looking at how God's Word is supposed to interrupt with our everyday living, how we are to have our eyes focused on the heavenly things, and, how, and what that looks like in everyday life. And so, there's one truism that we've learned through this book, and that's this. There's a big difference between theory and practice. The former affects the head, but the latter affects the hands and feet. It's a famous quote I've just made up. But isn't that true? God says to us, obey me. Not in theory, but in practice, through your hands and feet. And that starts in the heart and understanding his word. Colossians 3.17 is a theme verse for the whole book, and it's this. Black and white. Whatever you do, in word or deed, that'll cover everything, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is Christ whom you serve. In other words, do it unto Him as an offering to Him. And so whether it's Christ-centered love, which we call to this morning, we are to seek heavenly things as we obey God in these things in everyday life. But what does Christ-centered love look like in human clothes every day? What does it look like in my home? What does it look like at work? And that's what this passage is going to cover this morning. Now, if you were to describe your family with one word or one slogan, what would it be? Just real quickly, you don't have to tell me, just think in your own head. Why is Ken laughing? Oh, okay. How would you describe your family in one word? Loving? Compassionate? Caring for each other? Dysfunctional? famous dead person who I don't even know who it is said this, as goes the home, so goes society and the nation. As goes the home, so goes society and the nation. You see, the home as instituted by the Lord back in Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 18 to 25, when the Lord brought the woman to the man and created her, there the, fa the foundation of the home was established. And on that foundation stone, society is built. And when that foundation stone crumbles, and you just have to look around you in society now, then society will crumble and the nation crumbles. And as Christians, therefore, we can influence our society and this nation by living Christ-centered lives in our homes. And that's what we're going to be called to this morning. Live Christ-centered lives for Christ, but also for the sake of your nation and your society. And so the first bit of this verse that we're going to come to, which we'll read now, is in chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. Let's read what the apostle tells us. Colossians chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the first call of living God's or Christ-like love, Christ-centered love into our families is this call on Christian marriage. We've already looked at what Christ-like love looks like in the church and our relationships to each other as people, as individual members of this church, but now it really comes home to the family. In our marriages, what is Christ-centered love to look like? Christ-first living, what is it to look like? Verses 18 and 19. And he starts again, wives, submit to your husbands. Now immediately some people switch off. Don't switch off. It's one verse. Just bear with it. You see, there's background to this verse. Don't put a negative spin on that verse because society doesn't like it or because it doesn't sit comfortably possibly with you. There's background to this. There was stuff happening in the Colossi church. See, Paul does not address wives because they were the neediest. Paul addresses them first because the gospel demanded a radical change in the position of woman in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had women subjugated. They were like chattels in the home, just a little bit above the children. Women, children, chairs, tables, slaves, dogs. That was the order. The Roman world was harsh to women. If you weren't wealthy and rich and could look after yourself by having bodyguards, 
and personal slaves who could look after you, life was really hard. But the gospel called for a new freedom and a new stature that some of these ladies in the church couldn't handle. And so in other books, the letter to the Ephesians and 1 Peter, we, saw, we see specific things coming up in the church. These letters are written by the same apostle to various groups scattered all over the Roman Empire. Very much at the same time in history. A growing church with problems now being identified because the gospel has come in and said, society says this, but God says this. And it was challenging. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there's this verse. There, Before the Lord there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that went contra to what the Roman Empire was preaching. And as with anything, you give freedom and people take freedom and run with it. Because they've been bound so long. We've got to understand what was happening here. For years and years, women had been suppressed. And now comes the apostle and says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Oh. You see, he was addressing a specific problem. In uh, the situation in First Peter, what ladies were doing is with this newfound freedom, they were adorning themselves with all kinds of jewelry and going over the top. OTT, just like the prostitutes in that society. In the Ephesian church, there were issues with ladies just speaking out of turn and the order of worship was being affected. And so he has to write the, book to, the letter to the Ephesians. In the Colossi church, with their newfound freedom, sexual freedom was being taken too far. And so there was sin in the church of a sexual nature. And so the book of First and Second Corinthians were written. And so this newfound freedom was there, but the, the apostle has to address people going too far with it. And so he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because that's what the Lord wants. Additionally, the false teachers were putting a spin on things. The false teachers were getting to the Christians and they were using this you are one in Christ principle of Galatians 3.28 and, and they were starting to say to the church that marriage is an institution of this world best avoided by liberated Christians. So attack was coming on marriage itself by these false teachers. And they were saying that if you're really spirit-filled, if you're a spirit-filled Christian, that maybe you should even avoid sex in marriage. Because remember the, the, the ascetists? Those who saw that spiritual freedom was more important than the body, and the body has to be disciplined. Remember we went through that? Well, they were saying part of that discipline is don't give yourself to sex in marriage. See the false teachers? And so Paul is addressing these things. And this attitude is even found late in the Middle Ages where the sexual act between man and wife had to just be endured and no pleasure shown. 
Thirdly, the false teachers were also downplaying the importance of the household, the home itself. They were trying to bring a division between believers. And so they were attacking the very institution of the home. Much like the LGBTQIA or whatever other alphabet letters you want to add, today are attacking the institution of the home. Because if they can break the home, then they can have lawlessness. See, society is affected. And today, liberal Christianity and society both are rejecting this specific teaching that the apostle raises here. Because they don't like it. But it's a principle of God's design of order and role, roles in the home. And we're going to touch on that as we go a bit into this, these verses. And so what they're doing is rejecting what God teaches. And so we have the whole complementarian, egalitarian debate happening, and it's not for this Sunday. We'll do it another time. However, the Apostle Paul, with that background, comes with apostolic authority, and he says, wives, submit your husbands. And the word here, submit, is submit in order. Hupotasiste. Submit in order. It was a military term used of soldiers getting into ranks under a leader. So that a battle could happen. Submit in order under. It's nothing to do with inferiority of the person. It's nothing to do with personhood. It's nothing to do with personality. Nothing to do with ability. It's about order. For a purpose. You see the Lord wants order in the home. And he says obey me in this. Show willing submission in this to your husband's role as the leader in your home under the Lord. Why? Because this is fitting to the Lord, says our verse. These actions are due to the Lord, is a literal translation. Give the Lord, Lord the honor due to his name by submitting to your husbands because he is submitted to the Lord. Or he's supposed to be submitted to the Lord. Yes, but my husband's no good with money. He's going to lead us into poverty. He just spends and I've got to do the accounting. Why are you, go, why are you laughing? A few ladies laughing here. Yeah? You see, this principle says, get alongside your husband. And help him to understand in such a way that he thinks it's his idea, right? Come on, ladies, you know how to do this. As long as it's his idea, he's happy. Get alongside him. And yes, you might be the better leader as a person, but get alongside him so that he can lead before the Lord. He's still responsible before the Lord in how your resources have been used and how he leads, so help him. The only exception is when your husband asks you to do something which is contrary to God's word, right? Because Luke chapter 12, verse 51 to 53 and other passages then say, obey God first. And that might cause conflict. So the summary is, wives, put Christ first in the way you willingly submit to your husband's leadership and do it as unto the Lord. Christ focused love. Love him. 
doesn't end there. Husbands. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter or easily irritated and harsh towards them. Now, I want to ask the ladies a question here. Ladies, who of you get loved too much? Who of you have ever uttered those words, oh, if it only had stopped loving me so much? Anyone? No, never. That's right, never. You never get enough love, right? Husbands, are we listening? Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wife. Our, our wives shouldn't have to say, I wish my husband would love me more. And I'm feeling very uncomfortable here standing saying this too. Because I'm a man like you. How do you and I as husbands show Christ first in our marriages? We show agapate love. To love our wives. It's a head over heels sacrificial love. It's not phileo, which is the physical act. It is the totality act of serving her with everything you can. Remember the first days when you were courting? That type of love. You would move heaven and earth for this girl. It's a head over heels, sacrificial love. That means putting your wife's needs before your own. Husbands, we quite quickly become self-centered. It means not playing the little dictator because God said I must lead, so I'm going to lead. It means rather co-leading your family with your wife. Discussing with your wife about decisions and then making decisions with her. It means giving direction to your family with your wife. Valuing her input and her opinion and really listening clearly because she comes from a perspective you could never even think of. Because you've got a male brain and you're made in a very different way to your wife. And that's why God put a man and a woman together in a family. We complement each other. Men are pushers and we get things done. Ladies are they see the bigger picture, the to totality picture. And they've got a softer edge to them, mostly. We come from different perspectives. The Lord puts us together. Husbands, love your wives. That's your responsibility before the Lord. And sadly, too many men abdicate this role of theirs. And then the wife has to step up and lead. Because someone has to lead for the sake of that family. And then scripture carries on and says, husbands, don't be embittered towards your wife. In other words, don't act negatively. Don't always be there with constant criticism and moaning. This is too short, that too long. I'm speaking to myself here too, by the way. Don't always be coming with put-downs to your wife. John MacArthur said it beautifully, as he does. He said, I can't do American accent, so forgive me. Don't call your wife honey and then act like vinegar towards her. True? Don't call your wife honey and then act like vinegar. Rather, act positively to your wife. Love your wife. Seek just what's the best for her. Praise her. Because in doing this, you're doing this for the Lord too. Your wife is loved by the Lord as much as He loves you. Before the Lord, you and your wife are equal 
He loves you both the same. She is His creation as much as you. She is as human as you are. She's a spiritual being before Him as much as you are. And so value your wife as someone of great desire because she is greatly desired by the Lord. And so husband and wife, in summary, he says to us here, show true love to each other. What does true love look like? Let's go and read it again. 1 Corinthians 13. You might last have heard this when you were getting married, right? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 5. This is what it says. This is what husband and wife love should look like. Christ-focused love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Just think of yesterday. Forget the rest of the week. Just yesterday, men and ladies. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, and love hopes for all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. So husband and wife, love each other in your marriages, and so help to build society, but most, most importantly, to glorify Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, Put Christ first in your family, chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. Let's look at what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, most of our kids have gone to Sunday school. I'm kind of preaching to no one. Got one, two teenagers, so I can, yeah, I can go for you guys now. Oh, sorry, sorry, three teenagers. Here we go. You see, it's saying children obey your parents. Oh, but children have rights. Yes, they do, they do. They have rights. They've got a right to be born once they're conceived. Our leadership needs to hear. When children are conceived, they've got a right to be born. Don't be like Bill Cosby, the comedian who's in, not, not in the good books. He said, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. No, it's not that type of love. Once you've con been conceived, ch children have a right to be born. They've got a right to be looked after and protected. Yes. Children who are born into a Christian family have a God-ordained right to be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord says Ephesians 6 verse 4. And children have a God-ordained right to be prayed for by their parents. Because God tells you to do that. But children have responsibilities too. And here, the first responsibility is a God-ordained responsibility to obey the Lord. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says, obey your parents. So it's not coming from your mum and dad, you to obey them. The Lord says, obey your parents. So obey your parents. 
The word obey means to literally to put yourself under their authority as parents while you live in their home. And so teens, you might disagree with the way your parents are doing things. And you probably think you could do better than they could. And in some instances, you probably could, especially with electronics. But the Lord says, obey me, otherwise you are disobeying me. Obey your parents in everything. He said this back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that God has promised you. And so, children, if you defy this, you are defying God. It's plain and simple. And the child who doesn't learn to obey his and her parents is not likely to obey any authority in society. Whether that's their teachers, whether that's the police, and whether that's their employers. And we're seeing the effects of that now after a generation who have defied their parents in this country. And I had a lot of dealings with that when I used to be a teacher as a principal. Children defying their parents couldn't care less what their parents are saying. And then they wouldn't do anything the teachers said. And when the police came around, they snubbed the police because they couldn't care what the police are going to do. It starts here. Obey your parents, says the Lord. And then there's a word for us as parents, specifically fathers mentioned, but it's parents too. It says, don't exasperate your children. Now, you can sit up and listen again, teenagers. It says, don't exasperate your children. How do we exasperate our children? If you're bringing up little kids, by overprotection. Rules for every single thing. They can hardly think for themselves. We need to teach our kids to think right. And that means you've got to release them a bit to do so that they can see what they're doing is right and wrong under the guidelines you've given them. The opposite of that is lack of standards, no rules. themselves up. And what does that bring in children? It brings insecurity. And from insecurity comes problematic behavior. We saw that often in schools. How can we exasperate our children? By being unreasonable in our demands of them. Do this, do that, do this, do that. We've hardly given them a chance to do anything. And there's the next command. By being dictatorial, using that no, without thinking about it and responding to them in why we do that. doesn't have to be why every time, but you, used to, you must give a reason for what you do, right? By being harsh towards our kids, by being abusive, and don't the stats show that in this country, towards our children, by using a coverall discipline, one, Johnny's done something wrong, and so I punish all the kids. That's not right before the Lord. We exasperate our kids. By constantly changing our minds, flip-flopping on decision-making. We said we'll go to the beach after lunch, and then, oh, no, I haven't got time now. Flip-flopping. What do the children learn? I can be inconsistent too. I don't have to keep my word. By showing favoritism in a family, that can kill kids, literally. You see, we constantly need to be 
looking at how we behave towards our children. Because, says Scripture, in the last part of that verse, you will cause them to be discouraged. If, you con if you're exasperating your kids all the time, you break their spirits. They become morose. They start disrespecting you. They start becoming bitter towards you and rebellious towards you. And rebellion can work out either in outright rebellion or it can result in suicide because they get so discouraged. And don't we have stats to show that in this country? You see, children, and here's an important thing. If you've got discouraged children in your home and you are exasperating them, watch out. They are fair bait for Satan and for friends from the world. They will go anywhere where they can experience love. Into anyone's arms where they can experience love. Don't exasperate your children. Love them for Christ. See them as belonging to Christ first. They've been lent to you for what, 18 years? He lends them to you and then he says, okay, now slow release them. I will look after them. They're only yours for a while. Love them while they're with you for Christ. Christ-centered life. You know the sad stats is? We don't spend enough time with our kids. I was reading a shocking statistic that in this country, the average time a father specifically spends with his kids at night and the afternoons is 37 seconds. Because he comes home and blobs in front of the TV or goes off and does something else. How was your day? Fine. Don't sit talking to anyone anymore. 37 seconds. That's shocking. Think about it. We need to take, we need to make time for our kids. And not just making time, we need to take the time to actually sit and listen to what they're saying to us without this digital device getting in the way. Without the TV getting in the way. Without the next appointment getting in the way. Listen, really listen to what your children are saying to you. A listening ear and a loving heart always go together, teaches scripture. So that's in our families. Thirdly, put Christ first in your work. Chapter 3, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. This is what it says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, in Paul's time, of the plus minus 60 million people in the Roman Empire, the majority of those people were slaves. Because the small core of the Roman people went out and they captured surrounding areas and brought people in and made them slaves to perform their daily needs, from ablutions to personal advisors to the emperor. They were educated slaves. So the majority of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Case in point, 
Philemon and Onesimus. Now, who was Onesimus? Onesimus was the man who brought this letter of, Coloss of Colossians from Paul in prison to the Colossi church. It was Onesimus who brought it. Who was Onesimus? He was a slave of Philemon. But there was something majorly wrong here. Onesimus had run away from Philemon. He was a runaway slave. And so Paul sends the letter to the Colossi church because Philemon is a member of the Colossi church. But he also sends another letter, the letter of Philemon, to Philemon himself with regards to how he is to look after this slave who was a runaway slave. And he says to him, Philemon, if you value me as your brother Paul, then value Onesimus with that same love in Christ. That was radical in the Roman Empire. And then he sends a third letter, and that was the letter through Onesimus to the church at Ephesus. So Onesimus is important. Otherwise, maybe we wouldn't have read these things. Now, I just need to just stop for a minute and speak about the church and slavery. Why didn't the church speak out about slavery? Well, they did. But the church was small, right? They were just starting out as an organization which had come about. And so they were bringing the gospel before the Roman Empire. And that gospel had to start producing fruit. But it starts small. And so they spoke about one another love. And that included slaves. Remember those verses? We read that in verse 17, I think it was. No, verse 11 of chapter 3. Here in the church there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now there's the gospel message going out to change society. And it has to get out there. So they were speaking against slavery. Modern theologians will tell us they never spoke against slavery. They did speak against slavery. They need to read their Bibles properly. Now it says slaves. In our language today, it'll be employees. Right? Same thing. Obey your earthly masters in everything. That is in all you do. Not as people pleasers. Not just while being watched. Or not just giving eye service. Chips. Here's the boss. But wholeheartedly, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, putting Christ first. How are we to work? When the cameras aren't on us, when the boss isn't around anywhere, if we're employed, we are to work for Christ first. And the employer gets the benefits of that. Because I've got another master, and I'm serving him. So don't just be a people pleaser. But work heartily, says our text. That means with full vigor, giving all your energy for Christ and your employer. Give your full energy. Work with full vigor for the Lord. Employer will get the benefits. Work for the Lord. Think of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Slave. He was given responsibility for his whole master's house, except for the wife. And when that came past him, he had to deny. He was working with all his energy for Potiphar, but working for the Lord. Way back in the Old Testament. And if you do so, says this text, Christ will reward you. Even if men won't, even if your boss doesn't see, even if you don't get a single raise in salary your whole working life, 
Christ will reward you if you serve Him first. Work for Christ. Leave the rest to Him. He will give you the reward in due time. That's what our text is saying. You are serving the Lord Christ. Take note of those words. You are serving the who? The Lord Christ. God Himself. Your heavenly master. And so serve to please God, not just to avoid punishment. Don't be like little children. And just do things so that you don't get punished. Serve the Lord first in everything. And that takes some doing because in the current cultures we are, in a working environment, many, many people sky off and do their own thing when people aren't watching, right? Those of you in office situations, you'll know exactly what I'm speaking about. I used to be in one. You only work when you're supposed to work. Work for the Lord and you will be rewarded. And then he speaks a word to masters too, and that's the last one here. He says, masters or overseers or those in charge with authority over others. Treat your slaves, your workers, with fairness and justice. Why? Because you have a heavenly master. You might think you're the boss. you got a bigger boss, bro. He's in heaven. And he's looking after what you are doing and looking over it. You see, in our society... A Christian worker ought to be the best worker on the job. Why? Because they're serving Christ first. And someone employing others is to be, if you're a Christian, the best employer and the best boss because of your interactions with those under you. Do they know you as such? Or are you another one of the the statistics of Christians who have let people down Because they're not living Christ-like lives in their responsibility. And so you hear things like, don't work for a Christian. They're the worst. I've heard it. Don't become one of those. That's un-Christ-like behavior. What do we do with this? It's quite easy, but hard. Is Christ preeminent in everything in your life? Is He preeminent in your marriage, husband and wife, Go and sit together tonight and talk about things. Is Christ preeminent in my relationship with you, husband, wife? Is Christ preeminent in our relationship with our children? Do I give them the time of day? Do I listen to what they're saying? Do we, like Joshua, need to come to a point where we say, Joshua 24, 15, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in everything. We need to maybe resolve that again. In your work, every interaction, in everything, is Christ center. It is Christ you serve. You know, when we look at all these things, we can have one of two reactions. We can be encouraged or we can be discouraged. Now this week, I hit a discouraged Because as the Lord does when He's working in us as ministers or anyone preparing the Word, He works these things in our hearts and He highlights things in your own life. And I hit a severe depra on Wednesday. Ask my wife, ask my friend Dave. I told him. Because as I evaluated my life in front of the Word, I just saw so many things. And I just thought, man, you've got such a long way to go, Lord. Don't sit in that discouragement. Rather, 
Humble yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ. Humble yourself at His feet and bring your weaknesses to Him. Be filled with His Spirit for that task of bringing these things under His control. And be controlled by His Word. Do what it says. And it just takes you to start somewhere. And that somewhere might be to go to your wife and to say, Lord, love, tell me, what's the biggest thing you want me to change? You see, the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. There's something wrong in my heart when my actions aren't right. And who can change the heart? Not my wife's naggings. Not my boss's rantings. But only God can change my heart to be Christ-like. And so take every area, every aspect of your life and submit it, put it under the Lord. And He will bless your home and He will use you in this society around you. Amen. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we can't this word. It sits black and white in front of us. We either obey or we disobey. Help us. In our weakness, we pray. You are strong. We are weak. With you, it is possible. With us, impossible. You see us and you see our hearts. May we not hide anything from you, but expose our weaknesses before you. And you will turn those things into strengths as you change us. Do this in us, we pray. And may you be glorified. Amen.